of all, I want to say God bless you folks for the way you've been so wonderful in your compassion and support of Pastor Tim. And uh, it's so good that he's able to have this break. And I know that everybody, I would think, is praying for him and his family. I've been in touch with him, and we've communicated. And so we just want to continue that this will be a great time of uh, refreshment and recuperation. I have been doing a lot of pondering, really, and praying and thinking, trying to think through what would be best for me to uh, speak to you about this morning. And uh, I do feel confident that the direction I'm going is the direction I should be going. Uh, one of the things that I never, ever forgot was a meeting that we had in New York City one time with a few of us and met with the associate pastor of the great Redeemer Presbyterian Church where Tim Keller is the pastor and he's world famous now and uh, he was saying that, uh, that Tim Keller preaches in such a way that people are being helped and because they're so excited about the help that they're getting from his ministry they in turn tell their friends and neighbors about it so they can get that same kind of help. Well, the mode that I'm in and will be in these next uh, few weeks is I just hope that I can be helpful. I, I want that more than anything else in every way and in every area of the ministry and the life of this church, hopefully to be some help. And you may say, well, I don't think you at your stage in life can be up for the task. But uh, the truth of the matter is, I never, and, and I know nobody believes this, and I can understand why you wouldn't believe it, never felt better in my life, never had, <laughs> never had more energy in my life, really and truly. And, uh, and the truth of the matter is maybe part of what happened when I was here pastoring for those years, toward the end of it, and I don't know when this began, I got tired but didn't realize I was tired because I kind of evolved into it. And so then when I got away, I realized how tired I was and got rested, and now I'm so rejuvenated, rejuvenated that I can hardly stand it. But anyway, it, uh, it is great to be here. And then another thing uh, that has really helped me in the journey, to be truthful, is as I look back, uh, I can be far more objective about my time here and what I didn't do that I should have done and uh, what I didn't do as well as it should have been done and then the things that I did do that I should have done that went well and so it's been able it's been a great reflecting time for me and uh, consequently I, I feel better able to do what I have been asked to do here over these uh, next few weeks and I do want to get to know Everybody, I've had the, oh, the thrilling opportunity this morning already of getting to know a whole bunch of new people, and some are new to our church. In fact, some are here for the first time for whatever reason. I don't know where you've been for Pete's sake, but I'm glad you're here uh, this morning. And, uh, and so uh, this, is, this, is, uh, this is exciting and, and, and uplifting. And I, I think that you will be excited to know, if I, I know some of you don't know Dr. Lennox, he, my friends, is a preaching machine and he is going to be preaching here after the Sunday after he does the Bible walk through the Bible thing on Saturday and then 
you'll be glad to hear this. John Simons is coming back to preach for us here in a few weeks. And uh, John, for, I know some of you have never heard John Simons, but uh, he has as much appeal and maybe even more to young adults and young families uh, than his age would uh, reflect. And so we're looking forward uh, to him. So in pondering what I should say and what I should do here today, I, I, what I'm talking about and what I want to talk about, I feel so strong about it. And I, I, one thing I've tried to prepare myself to do is not to get too fired up because what happens when I get feeling so strong about something, I, I tend to holler when I preach, and I don't want to be doing that. But some of you need somebody to holler at you, you know, to keep you awake. I realize that. David way down here especially. But anyway, uh, and, and so, and so well, you watch him. You keep an eye on him, will you? Uh, but I just feel that the, the greatest need at any time in history, and especially this time in history, is a culture in the church of encouragement. And the Bible talks about that more than anything else in the Bible, if you really get looking into it. And I thank God. I'm not saying this because I sense there's a great need, because you have had a wonderful culture of encouragement. I mean, it's wonderful to see the pastors, Pastor Tim and, and Pastor Mike and Pastor Dave. I shouldn't have started down that row of pastors. There's so many of them, I can't remember them all. But anyway, and, and to see the, that Pastor Mike, isn't he one mighty encourager of all encouragers that you ever saw in all your life? And it's an inspiration to me. And so I just want to more than anything affirm you in what I see as being such a critical, critical need at this time in the history of the world and this time in our church. And we can just, we can just never, never let off on that. And that means all of us can get in on this. So have you ever pondered and wonder, what is real spirituality anyhow? And, you know, I know that there's standards to be met, moral standards and the Ten Commandments and all of that. That is so critical. But what is real spirituality? You know, the Bible talks about 52 times that what we are to do one for another, using that phrase, for one another. And so that means we connect with one another. We encourage one another. We help one another. And we are truly at our best spiritually when we are the eyes and the ears and the arms and the hands of Jesus by encouraging one another. You know, there's a statue out in California someplace of Jesus with his arms outstretched. And there was an earthquake that caused the, the arms to break off and they were thinking about replacing them. And then they just said, no. That means, and that will help everybody to realize, we are the arms and the hands of Jesus. And what did Jesus go about doing? He went about encouraging people and making them feel the best they could feel about themselves without ever being concerned how they could make him feel better about himself. But that if you give it, you cannot stop it from coming back. You cannot stop it from coming back. And that's the best way to get it, not that that's the reason that you give it. And so I want you to look in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and this will kind of point out to you a little bit of what my role and responsibility is. It says, 
preach the word. Now, this was written to Timothy the preacher. Be prepared in season and out of season. Well, I was out of season. Now I am in season. And so, whatever way, correct, rebuke, and what? Encourage. That is, and we are all ministers. We are all ministers who love Christ. And so, we, and this is what Jesus is all about. Now, why is that so responsible, or so important, rather? In Ephesians chapter 4, I just want to read to you one verse in the 16th verse. And it says this, From Him, the whole body, joined together as we connect together. We've got to connect together in order for this to happen that needs to happen. Grows and builds itself up. Now here, my friends, is how we get built up spiritually is to connect with one another, encourage one another in the name of Jesus, and be every bit of help that we can be to one another and, and verbalize the kinds of things that need to be verbalized in order for... Now, let me, let me say something that I hope does not get misinterpreted. Listen, you could pray all day long. You could be in the Bible all day long. You could be watching preachers on television all day long. You could be watching preachers online all day long, and you are going to miss a major ingredient that will cause you to be a healthy Christian. Because it was meant, the Bible says, forget not the assembling of yourselves together. We have got to get together. And lone rangers don't make it spiritually. These people who think all they have to do is sit home and watch it online or on television, they are missing out on one of the most critical ingredients of spirituality and spiritual depth, both for what they should be doing and what they should be receiving. And an amen would be good right there, Pastor Dave. You are awake. That's good. That's good. That's good. And, and so, so we, we, there's no place, there's no place in the family of God for lone rangers. It doesn't work. It doesn't have the influence. It's a bad example. And not only is it a bad example, it keeps us from getting the nourishment that we can get by encouraging one another, connecting with one another. And that's the reason. That's the reason that the whole infrastructure of the church, one of the, one of the things that is the most important as far as the foundation of the place are these small groups. And, and not only small groups and people getting in groups so they can connect with one another and encourage one another and be encouraged, but it's also a, a matter of, of being involved in a ministry because people who are involved in ministry, they congregate together and they can encourage one another. So either way or both ways, small groups in involvement, it all, now I want to say this just so it doesn't seem secondary, this is of primary importance for us as a church and for God's people to be the healthy, strong, capable, energized people that God wants us to be. And if you, know, if you only knew how I wanted to holler that out, you would think you'd be proud of me that I didn't. But uh, because I just see it as such a vital and important factor. Now, why do I say that? I'll tell you why I say it. It's because the Bible says it. That's the, the reason I say it. I want you to notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
How can you encourage one another if you're sitting behind a television or watching a sermon online? I'm driving at home, aren't I? Hopefully. Are you getting it? You're the ones that don't need it. It's the ones that are home, they're watching it online that need it. <laughs> Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. We show compassion by connecting with one another. And the God of all comfort. By the way, that word comfort always came from the same word that encouragement comes from, the original Greek word, comfort who comforts us. This is God. This is who he is, the comforter, the encourager. And we all want in us, and we'll read that scripture in a minute, but the mind of Christ. And when we have the mind of Christ, which was a mind to be encouraging others, not thinking about the encouragement that they need for themselves, just thinking my main role is to be an encourager, then we are in harmony with God's power and purpose. And that's the reason we can sense the power of his presence when we are involved in this way. And so in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in trouble and, that, and with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. You see, this is God's priority. It's his priority. And so if it's his priority, it should be, and I trust is, ours. And thank God for those who have seen that as a priority. Then 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and the God of our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every Good deed and word. That's where the strength comes from, is the encouragement that we give and the encouragement we receive. Romans 15, 4 and 5. For everything was written that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the, en the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. And I'll tell you what, we're living in a hopeless world. We're living in a dark world that there's so many people, and there's people right here, probably in this auditorium, and people all over the city that just feel they're at a dead end. They feel their hope. There's, there's such loneliness. There's such despair, broken families and all the addictions and, and people whose families are fragmented and they've moved away, and, and so they don't have a real family. This is why the church family and being in a group and being ministered to and encouraged by one another is so critical in our journey. And that's the reason that it is so uh, important because the Scripture talks about this more than anything else. And it's so important that we be a friendly church with open arms to everybody, no matter who they are, what they are, what they've been. We can be as accepting as accepting of one purpose, person who may be a saint and we can be as accepting to the worst sinner in the city of Moncton as we can to that saint. There's no harm in being accepting. Now, that doesn't mean approval, but we can be accepting. And that's who Jesus was. And you, you take when people can come into an atmosphere of encouragement and acceptance. They, it colors how they see things. They don't see things critically. They see things in a positive way. But if they come into an atmosphere of rejection, they see everything in a way that nobody wants them to see it. They see it in a negative way. And, and so, you know, here, here's, just, here's, a, here's a challenge. 
that just to keep it practical and right down to earth here, that I, I think it'd be good for us to think about. I've been doing consultations with churches. I spend all day interviewing the leaders one-on-one -on, -one on Friday, focus groups Friday night, teach all morning long, sometimes into the afternoon. Then, then we put together prescriptions. The reason we say the word prescriptions is because we want the church to be healthy, and sometimes in order to be healthy, we need a prescription. That's what I'm giving you this morning is a prescription. And, and so I remember one church we were in where we met with the board members throughout the day, and we said, what's the greatest thing about this church? Every board member said the greatest thing about this church is the wonderful people. And they were just very enthused. So that evening, we had a focus group of a wide spectrum of people, uh, young and old and everything in between, new people to the church and people who have been there for a long time. And so we asked the question, as a part of what we do, what, uh, what would be the one thing that you would like to see change in this church more than anything else? And they were reluctant, but finally this young person, I would say in their late 20s, early 30s, said, well, <clears throat> hate to say this, but the church is really not very friendly. Now, here the board thought they were the most friendly place on the face of the earth. But they were, f so the next day when I'm teaching, I unpacked this. And I gave a little report of what we'd heard. And they were just appalled, the board members. They couldn't believe what they were hearing. How can that be? I mean, we're the friendliest place on the face of the earth. And then one of them smelled the coffee. And he said, yeah, I'm friendly with the people I work with. I'm friendly with the people I know and the people that, that uh, I, I circulate with. And so he said, I can see that. So here's my point. If we're going to be encouraging, we have got to be deliberate and intentional about getting out of our comfort zone. We've got to be counterintuitive because the default is to just be friendly with the people that we know. That's the easy thing. But for God's children who have a burden and a vision for seeing people come to Christ and want to be an encourager, they will need to get out of that comfort zone and be liberate and intentional about going up to people they don't know and introducing themselves and watching for people who may be new or not talking to anybody and in a very practical way stepping up. And so I've asked the pastor several times since then, how's it going? And he said, you would not believe how the board members have become so deliberate and intentional about getting to know new people and introducing themselves to new people. Well, that is the practical application of what we're talking about here. Because, listen, listen, people, let me, let me just say this. People have been pounded down so in our society from the time they're, some of them, from the time they were small, that they get, they, they tend to, hear the negative, and the negative is, tends to be what sticks with them. So they more or less come in here with an inferiority feeling, and they come in here almost expecting rejection, or and I don't mean overt rejection, I just mean that nobody's going. And you know, sometimes the most, the most friendly churches are the most unfriendly churches. Let me, let me say why I said People come into that church and they see everybody being so friendly. So they get their expectation level sky high. And then nobody sh says anything to them. What's wrong with me? Everybody else is seeming having a wonderful time. Because they're new, everybody's so consumed with each other, they're not paying attention to the people who need it the most. <laughs> 
Oh. How do you like me now? And here's what I believe. I believe this culture of encouragement is more important out there when, and before and after the services and every time and all through the week and in between in the groups and everything else is more important than great music. It's more important than great preaching. And people will come back here more because of the culture of encouragement and acceptance more than they'll come back to this place for music or the preaching. And... and Oh. <laughs> I, uh, you know, see, here's the, well, what time is it? Uh, I get up here and I get consumed with my message. I forget what time I started, so it doesn't make any difference now that I haven't. Uh, it's 11.26, so let's just make believe I'm just starting. Uh, <laughs> so... You probably all heard this, but this man was going to jump off a bridge. He was up at the top of this bridge, and, and they tried to talk him out. A policeman went up to try to talk him out. You know, there's a power. Like the power of discouragement is an awful power, and that's what people are hearing most of the time. They, they, they are influenced by the power of discouragement, not the power of encouragement. And so the policeman went up to try to talk him out of it. And the guy was so discouraging, they both jumped. Well... <laughs> We need, we need, we need, we need in the church of Jesus Christ the power of encouragement. Now, when I talk about the power of encouragement, there's a big distinction between the power of encouragement and the power to encourage. Big distinction. And here's the distinction. Everybody in this place has the power to encourage. Right now, right now, you don't look like you believe me. Do you know what it's called? Brain power. You decide you're going to do it. That's all it takes is the brain power to decide this is what I need to do, this is what I should do, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be deliberate and intentional about it and forget about what's coming back to me. I'm going to be consumed about what I can do to up, help uplift other people, and you, it'll come back to you. It'll come back to you more than you ever dreamed was possible for it to come back to you. The only power that we need is the brain power to do it, but the power that comes when we do do it to others. And what it does for them is beyond description. Uh, we had a lady in this church that many people would know. From the, she was here from the time I came, and she's still connected, but she's in a home. And all the years, she was out there beating the bushes in the lobby, introducing herself to people and greeting people, getting their names. Then she invited them to their home for coffee. And she was so practical. And, and it was B. McNulty that some of you would know. And I don't know how many people I've talked to in this church that have told me that they came here and they stayed here because of B. McNulty. I thought, what do you mean? What about my preaching? <laughs> they never said a word about my preaching. It was B. McNulty 
getting to know their names and being so deliberate and intentional and so encouraging. And I don't know how many dozens of people, might have been hundreds of people, because she did that for so many years with zest and enthusiasm. And one person can make a difference. One person can. And you, my friend, and I would like to come right down there. In fact, I might even do it. And, and, say, and say to you, you and you and you and you, and even you, David Way, all of you, as you do it, I'll tell you, my friends, it will make a difference. No matter what you think of yourself, what somebody else thinks of you, you can do it. You just have to use that brain power you have to decide, I am going to do it. The whole world is based on giving and receiving, giving and receiving, the cycle of the whole world. I mean, the trees give out oxygen, take in carbon monoxide, and on and on it goes. The ocean gives up the water, the sun draws it up, and then it gives back rain. And it's just the whole cycle of the whole world and what the whole world is all about. Back in the early 80s, Don Ingersoll was on staff here, and then he came back to be on staff later on, not too long ago. And we were having a service on Sunday night in the original auditorium over there, and tremendous crowd of people. And, and uh, Don whispers to me, on, we used to sit on the platform in those days, and he whispers to me, Pastor, I think we should have a bread-breaking service. Well, I didn't even know what a bread-breaking service was. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we just get some bread, and we go up to somebody, and we express appreciation to that person, some word of encouragement, and we break bread with that person. Well, I said, where are you going to get the bread? And he said, well, I'll just run down here to Irving and get the bread. Now, we didn't even buy things on Sunday in those days. And so, and so he ran down got some loaves of bread right in the middle of the service. Can you imagine? Never did that before or since. And, and he brought the bread out. And so we turned that thing into a bread. I don't remember all the details, but I do remember this. I do remember breaking bread with people. And as we were going back and forth, expressing appreciation and encouragement, and it was, it was going back and forth as we broke bread with people, there was a power in that place, a power that everybody felt, a power that I cannot really describe to you. You just felt it. You knew it was there. You could cut it with a knife. It was so powerful because it was the power of people appreciating and encouraging and loving one another and it had an incredible impact and I remember one person I went up to and I said let's break bread and and this person said to me pastor I cannot eat bread they had that disease it's too big a word for me to handle but that you can't that you can't uh, eat bread because uh, it causes some kind of reaction and so, just immediately, because in the power of that atmosphere, there was such a powerful atmosphere. I said, Jane, let me pray for her that you'll be healed. And I started to pray for her, and it was just like a shot. All of a sudden, I said, I, I, I quit the prayer. I said, Jane, just in surprise. I was just surprised. I said, you've been healed. Or if you haven't been healed, you're going to be healed. And she said, Pastor, I know it. Tears were streaming down her face. And my wife 
who went down, she went to the grocery store the next where her husband worked, and she said, my wife is eating bread, beat the band. It's just unbelievable. Because, because but, but the deal was, my friends, it was in an atmosphere of love, acceptance, forgiveness, healing, and encouragement. It was in an atmosphere where the power of the Lord was present because of people lifting one another up and encouraging one another and saying words that would help them in their journey. And everybody needs it. Everybody. I need it. I'm not asking for it. I got more than I can handle already, but I'm, I'm just thankful. You know, when I first started, I remember we had great evangelists at Beulah Camp, and, and uh, that's a conference center we have down near St. John. And, and I thought, I, you know, if I appreciated what they're saying, I shouldn't say anything. Who am I? That doesn't mean anything to them. Well, then I became one of those evangelists traveling all over North America, different camp meetings. And I'll tell you what, it meant something to me coming from wherever it came from. Where there was a little kid, in fact, a little kid it means more than anybody else these days, uh, or a young person, or an older person, uh, even a mentally challenged person. I tell you, I took it any way I could get it. And, and so we all need it, whether we think we do or not, and it is helpful, but we have to be counterintuitive, focused on giving it. Now, as I've said many times, for a little encouragement for some of you who have drifted off and gone wherever you go when you drift off, that I am circling the field, and I'm looking for a spot to land here, and I'm going to come in in a while, and, um, <laughs> but hopefully a short while. Holmes said this, Holmes said this, we live by encouragement, we die without it, slowly, sadly, and angrily. Let that never happen. Let that never happen with anybody in this place. And if we all do, as Christians, what God has called us to do, it will not happen. And we can start, if we haven't started before, we can start today. I, I just, I, I never liked anybody reading their sermon. It's just me, and I'm not saying something wrong with that. And I never liked reading anything while I'm speaking. But this morning, I wanted to get what I'm going to share with you right now, which is the closing part of this message, so correctly that I'm going to read it because I'm, I was afraid I might mess it up if I didn't read it word for word. Joseph Bailey, as some of you would know that author, was a creative writer, and he made a great contribution to, this, to his generation by courageously addressing the subjects of suffering and death. Joseph Bailey buried three children, three sons. I can't imagine. An 18-day-old infant a five-year-old victim of leukemia, and an 18-year-old son who died after a sledding accident. Joseph's book, Heaven, grew out of his bitter exposure to death. Shortly before the 18-year-old died, he became engaged to a very godly young woman. They got married earlier in those days. After his death, and in the midst of her own sorrow, now just think about this, in the midst of her own sorrow, this young woman was so deeply concerned about the sorrow of Joseph Bailey, who were 
going to be her father-in-law and mother-in-law, so concerned about them, she gave them a poem which had meant a great deal to her. Verses written by a German pastor, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Every evangelical pastor has heard the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And the poem was titled, Next Year, 1945. Bonhoeffer had written it for his own fiancée just three months before he was taken by the Nazis. He stood up against Hitler in those days. He was taken by the Nazis and executed at the age of 39. Imagine. He wrote the poem while in jail during World War II. The poem was delivered to his fiancée after his death. She was responsible for its publication. And two of the seven stanzas read as follows. Now, I'm, I, again, that's nothing I've ever been very excited about. It was poetry, and, and, uh, but I feel like I need to share this with you in order for you to understand the depth of what we're talking about. This is what Bonhoeffer wrote. Should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even the dregs of pain at your command, we will not falter, thankfully receiving all that is given by your loving hand. Oh, that's quite a, quite a determination. While all the powers of good aid and attend us, boldly we'll face the future, be what may, at even and at morn, God will befriend us, and oh, most surely on each New Year's Day. When Joseph Bailey wrote his book on heaven. He included this poem in his book. Twelve years after his uh, son died and 30 years after Bonhoeffer's death, the Baileys received a letter from a young pastor in Boston. The pastor told of visiting a woman in a hospital, in a Boston hospital, who was seriously ill. On one of his visits, the pastor gave her a copy of Joseph's book, Heaven, that had that poem in it. The woman stayed up all night reading it. You can imagine how much it meant to her, knowing that she was soon going to be seeing the end. Within a few days, she died. This woman had immigrated from Germany shortly after the war. Her name was Maria von Wiedemeyer. At the time when when Bonhoeffer was imprisoned and executed, she was Bonhoeffer's fiance. From Bonhoeffer to Maria, from Maria to another grieving fiance, from his fiance to the parent of the one she loved, from one of his books to other hurting people, then through a friend of his back to Bonhoeffer's Maria as she lay dying in a Boston Hospital, Ecclesiastes says, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days.